0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud podcast. This is your host, Francesco, and today we are just above the episode 40 and almost at the end of season two. And as I said, as announced on social, we're going to have a smashing episode at the end of... Uh, season two with everybody. Well, three, no, four podcasts all together in the same in the same live, and of course it's going to be available uh, also on uh, the podcast app, so uh, iTunes, iCloud, uh, and uh, everywhere where we are. So today we have a very, very special guest and a fellow like-minded uh, and person and also uh, a fellow podcaster. So Guy Pajani is uh, the co-founder and president of Snakes that has been focusing on open source and a developer-first culture for cybersecurity people and also developers. So how to bring the two population together, that is one of our mission in uh, Security Phoenix. So. Um, You know, I I was I was especially uh, ecstatic about having him on the podcast and having another fellow podcaster is super super easy (laughs) to have conversation. So today we we explore a little bit that aspect. So how sneak was born, how the empathy and how to effectively start uh, bringing together security people and developer, and how things have changed from when guy uh, founded up sneak and how he sees the industry going and what are the effectively things that Sneak is bringing on and where uh, we're like-minded bringing on. And of course, we close out with vulnerability management because of course we can't. (laughs) So the episode is a little bit longer, but it was a super, super special conversation in just about an hour. So I hope you enjoy, stay safe and stay cyber safe.
1: Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. Let's dive in.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today we have a super special guest. So sorry for my voice to be a little bit trembling, but we got Guy Pujani, that is effectively the co-founder and president of Sneak, a fellow podcaster. So we spent probably 10 minutes discussing on podcasting and how to podcast, <laughs> but it's, it's really good and it's really natural to, to have another podcaster because he knows all the tricks and tips and it's really easy to have it as a guest. But Guy, thank you so much for coming on on the show, but can you give our audience for the rare people that doesn't know you, who you are, what you've been doing and what you've been up to?
2: Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for having me on, uh, you know, it's it's always fun to uh, just kind of, you know, share, share views <laughs> and kind of, you know, help us kind of collaboratively learn here. So I'm, uh, I'm Gaipo Jarni or, you know, often go by Gaipo. I am, uh, you know, so today I'm indeed, you know, sort of president and uh, and founder of, of Sneak, which I'm sure we'll kind of dig into. Uh, my, my background kind of, you know, rough history is I was in the, uh, I'm Israeli, I was in the sort of cyber parts of the Israeli army. Uh, and, uh, and after that, you know, so that got me into security. I was kind of, you know, a geeky kid, you know, doing it into computers at the time. Uh, but then after that sort of, you know, got into, uh, into more security parts and then went into the AppSec industry back in the, the very beginning of 2000, 2002 in a company called Sanctum that built AppScan, AppShield, some of the early AppSec products, uh, Sanctum got acquired by WatchFire, got acquired by IBM. Uh, so, you know, I kind of went through that, that, uh, process with nine, eight or nine years. Um, uh, dur- during that time, I uh, moved to Canada in the process uh, and then decided, you know, after like during that time, and, and I'm sure we'll sort of dig into developers and security here. But during that time in, in apps, even in kind of the early days, we were saying, you know, shift left and we were saying security needs to be built into development. And we, you know, we we kind of failed to do that <laughs> during uh, that time. We succeeded uh, financially with the products, kind of, you know, building security products for security people, but uh, but we couldn't really get there. But still, with with uh, uh, within IBM the company or the group within IBM that acquired us was rational, which was developer tools. So the, the premise, the aspiration was there. And as I left uh, security after that, I uh, I left. I, I felt you know I needed to. Uh, I wanted to found my own company. So I left uh, IBM to found a web performance company called Blaze, which made websites faster. And Blaze was acquired by Akamai. And I was CTO at Akamai for uh, for a bunch of years. and that was a really kind of fascinating period of time, you know both learning you know how what's it like? I was CTO of a seven hundred million dollar a year business you know so sort of learning how do we how do you mobilize it how do you drive innovation but also during kind of that performance stretch, I had a, a bit of a front row seat and and participation in the in the rise of devops. Uh, and so, super super insightful I think for me to just sort of you know see the change of the industry you know performance was one of the first industries to have been disrupted and then from there um, with with Akamai I moved to to London to uh, for a variety of kind of business opportunities and uh, felt like an adventure decided to stick around here and uh, and then left to, to found sneak and I was uh, the CEO of sneak when I founded it and about a year and a half ago uh, uh, decided to bring you know someone uh, a better CEO uh, at Peter you know and kind of a free me up to do what I'm better at which is Know, sort of more longer-term thinking and vision. Uh, hence my, uh, you know, ill-defined title, president <laughs> today. So. That's, um, and i yeah as you pointed out i run a podcast called the security developer and i'm, I'm I, I write and talk you know a fair bit uh publicly as on topics i'm passionate about like security and entrepreneurship and
0: I, and i guess that's that's a fantastic journey but i guess uh content driven discussion i think it is the best way to to deliver because i think especially during in the last period we've been blasted with content from any anywhere, any kind of company right now are just saying, you know, let's create a podcast. So let's create this <laughs> without realizing how complex and how much thought process it requires to, to fall into a podcast. But before we dive in on the amazing journey of Snyk and your amazing journey from CTO back on security and security back in, in, in technology is really, really interested. Maybe You've been you've been in this uh, technology journey or effectively upsec uh, journey since the very beginning. What is your view on right now? What is the state of the industry? The state of the art, and where are we? What are we doing good? What are we failing still at? What, what's your opinion on?
2: There's a shift happening right now. Um, I think, you know, sneak success is not unrelated to it, uh, but there's, I think there's a, a certain acknowledgement when I look at the last uh, 20 years or 20 plus years, well, I'm feeling old here uh, of, uh, of, of of my time kind of uh, in and around AppSec. At the beginning, AppSec was was a new concept. So we had to explain to people why SQL injection was a thing and why do you, why should you care? And, um, and so at the beginning, it was really just a, a realization that security at the application level as applications became powerful was something they should worry about. And we had all these charts showing how 75% of the investments go into that risk security while, you know, 75% of the attacks are at the AppSec layer. So, so I think that formed probably for about a decade, you know, the re- understanding of the importance of AppSec got established in certain practices uh, and and with the inefficiencies around finding it later. And I think what happened in this in the subsequent decades and so we know in the 2010 to 2020, uh stretch is the is maybe a growing acknowledgement that the that things have changed once more that it's not the same applications that we knew before that it's not the same development processes that we knew before and and what i feel is that today there's a certain shift in realization even if i look at sort of sneaks sort of five six years of existence at the beginning, I think the the notion of being developer oriented within the security organization, being a service oriented uh, developer organization, having engineering skills within your security team, so you're building tools and such for it was quite novel. Uh, you had to look hard to find them and I think today, especially in cloud native companies and then subsequently in larger organizations that are looking to embrace cloud native activities, uh, it's becoming the norm. So I'd say we're still in the early rounds of those, you know, we're still uh, most security organizations are not structured this way, but I think we're tipping the balance where most security organizations understand they need to be that way, and and are starting a journey, uh, even for those who are who are far along. So I'm I'm sort of optimistic today. I feel the, uh, the the penny dropped, and now it's more it's more about how do we action it and how do we make it a reality.
0: That's great, and I think I want I want to circle back on the point on on uh, we are at the beginning of the journey. We've been on. I mean, OWASP is just celebrating the 20 years and you're just saying like, we were starting on looking at AppSec 20 years ago and now we're just starting to get into that motion of actually software security is something that it actually matter. And I think from my perspective, I saw that uh, infrastructure security is something that we we kind of got around it, patching or non-patching. So now that the new wave is actually software because as you mentioned rightfully, uh, with more organization moving towards cloud, into more engineering-first mentality, kind of the infrastructure become ephemeral uh, with serverless and everything. So I think there will be much more focus, even more now, on on building software. Every 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 company is a software company, is a tech company. So the, the software problem will be more and more.
2: And, and I think w- what I would say is th- the other thing, as I see it, there's been a. a... Uh, a shift between from AppSec to what we call cloud native AppSec, which is in the world of, of classic AppSec or pre-cloud applications, applications are some code and some libraries, and they sit on top of this sort of hefty IT stack that is centrally managed, that has uh, servers and networks. And if you're a developer and you want a server and you want a port opened in the network, you open a ticket, you know, and that probably sounds awfully familiar to a lot of listeners, right? It's you open a ticket, you get a server, you open a ticket, you get the port. And there's a big IT security or IT organization that is typically quite security minded that has all sorts of tools to help keep that kind of stack secure. Some do it better, some do it worse. But in the cloud environment, all of those layers are now APIs. They're now files that are in your repository, your kind of Docker file, defining your container, your Terraform or, or kind of Kubernetes config file or Helm chart defining your infrastructure it affects it effectively. And so... I think it's a—it's almost a different industry, right? It's a—it's yeah. a—it's a growth. There's sort of these two things happening at once. You know, one is an understanding that developers need to embrace security, and you know, we—and that it's gone from being an efficiency play, you know, of just find them early so it's less costly, to a necessity that nothing else will scale. And then the other thing is that the scope of the app has changed. It's gone from apps from an application on top of you know an IT stack to a cloud-native application, and we need to. We need to adapt to the industry. It's it's no longer the sort of myriad of ways in which you can find vulnerabilities in custom code. Those very same developers are now basically responsible for securing infrastructure and and layers of IT that previously were were just not within their remit. Uh, And and I'd kind of argue that these threats are even potentially more important for them to tackle, and might even deprioritize some of the custom code vulnerabilities because you're more likely to be breached through through one of these sort of security hygiene failures, uh, than they are through through something that is sort of custom in your own business logic. So it's it's, it's a big shift. It's, a, it's almost a new industry so from the OWASP origination to uh, cloud native security. I don't think you can fit CNN into the OWASP. No, that doesn't quite roll off the tongue. But but it's a it's 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 a it's a real it's a real evolution.
0: No, I agree. And and me being part of the Cloud Security Alliance, we see that journey going through, and we saw that we had the more traditional control and uh, risk and control and governance with control being very very well defined and very abstract. But I see a little bit more towards a journey of DevSecOps on how do you effectively secure infrastructure as a code and how do you shift that engineering mindset in in very traditional organization. But then from my perspective, I, a thing that I see challenging is how do you bring along the journey those very traditional security persons that were used to the LAMP stack or to a particular tech stack? And how do you help everybody transition in this new modern world? Because as soon as you smash in a cloud native application and then nobody can support it, hence you have misconfiguration, the the, the stuff you mentioned, uh, the the small little uh, non-security win that enables somebody else to do the hacking win. (laughs) So how you bring the organization along this journey on on rethinking their application how has have you seen the industry changing in that perspective
2: yeah it, it, it's it's a long journey right so you have to depending on how established uh, it is then you know you have to you have to be mindful uh, there's almost sort of two answers to it one for the security people and one for the organization as a whole for the security team itself i think there needs to be some self realization and uh, because there is there's a real shift and 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 really what we should try and do you know for for those in the security profession is to look at devops and look at the transition that has made and you you've you have sort of this group of people that came from the sort of it ops maybe more sysadmin uh style backgrounds and today they've become you know sres and you know devops teams and platform teams and those teams are are arguably better jobs, you know, they're they're building software, they're better paid, they're more sought after, and they're perceived as business enablers in the organization. And what we want to do is we want to shift security teams into that world. At at the management level, there needs to be a a realization that this has to happen. So for starters, you know, there needs to be an acknowledgement that digital transformation is happening and that the organization works differently, and that security needs to adapt accordingly. Security is not the, the, your goal is not to be secure. Your your goal is to have a successful business, and being secure is a is a portion of it. Um, and and then within that, start thinking about how do you hire differently to your team. How do you reskill people in your team to to be able to adapt to the surrounding? And and remember that the there's there's a, there's gold in them hills. You know, there's eventually if you if you build those skills, the job is more interesting. You do less repetitive work do more software development and you'll probably even be paid more and uh and have and, and fun become more meantime. valued in the uh, in the business so i think the security teams have to do that and they need to change from from being those who find the problems and control it to being an empowering entity uh, and i don't think there's a there's a single motion at the leadership level they just need to understand this and then from an implementation perspective, they need to think about, you know, the skills in their team, the attitudes in their team, and take a page out of the, the change that the ops industry has, has undergone. And then I think within the organization, there are many ways to do it. But especially when you're in a large organization, my the, the, the path that I've sort of seen work the best is to get successful case studies. So mm-hmm. pick portions of the organization's teams that are already more forward thinking already more ready to embrace security and and really make them successful and so you work with them you collaborate with them whether it's a security champions program whether it's you know you need to celebrate their successes but fundamentally instead of saying let's overhaul throughout the organization our security program so that everybody will need to be all the development teams will take security ownership and they will you know automate more and all of that that's a high lift, and you're almost guaranteed that in any organization of any decent size, some teams are more ready to accept that type of model than others. So, you know, if, if this is a I like to say that the, the challenge isn't shift left, it's top to bottom. It's, it's about going from like a dictatorial team to, to more of a bottom up security model. And then what you want is, is to similarly think about this type of like decentralized uh, growth and you want to pick, pick your, uh, your, it's, I don't know if pilot is the right way to do it because it's, you have to go down that path. It's more your trailblazers um, and, and have, have uh, build the models and learn how to make it work and celebrate that success and get it to a point where the other team says, hey, I want to do that as well. Um, now, eventually once you get a certain majority, then you, you, you flip it. At some point you do say, okay, everybody has to work that way. I think you have to break the mold first. You know, you have to show some examples of how it works.
0: No, I like I like the collaboration. I like the working together. I like the all hands on deck, and making example and and showing the real data and real results. Uh, and that 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 thing is possible It's not just uh, a nice talk on a shift left and a nice word about shift left, but actually it's possible. But how do you enable effectively security team to work with engineer? Do you have you seen example? Uh, of injection of uh really high skilled dev that then were converted, or what what has worked um best in in the cases where you saw that you saw
2: yeah, so there's a fair bit of it depends on the organization and what's the starting point uh, that exists, but I do think the 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 two core components or two core ingredients are you no know, one is is indeed that sort of change in attitude within the security team that. They are there to help the development team successfully secure what they build, as opposed to kind of there to tell them what to do. Um, and then the second is to build an empathy to what that means in both teams. And so what I, what I like the most is a model in which on one side you have almost like a partner model, like a business partner model in how the AppSec team is structured compared to the engineering team. If you're, if you're a small enough organization, you might not need this, but once you're a bit bigger it's very common for finance teams for ops uh, like business ops teams to have like a partner this unit works with this person in the bi team and so that's their go-to person right and they go there and they they work with them and so that's a person in the security team that has a better understanding of these specific apps and engineering teams than the others and has a better personal relationships and then you couple that with a security champions program and that's the mirror image. So you take a person within every team, and that person is more aware of security and they can represent the security team that way. And so I like that model from a, a, an empathy and relationships perspective. And it's also actually a pretty good decentralized model because for example, as you roll out, you know, maybe not the entire organization might not sort of shift working this way, you can pick one person or two people in the AppSec team and have them partner with a subset of the dev teams and similarly, start a security champions program there, and you just kind of build that out. And then I, I've really seen that to work really well in terms of relationships. And then once you do that, you need to amplify, celebrate successes, really level up. Security is you know naturally something that you only hear about when something wrong happens, and so you really want to highlight when something good hap- happens, um, and, uh, and and surface that so everybody sees it and celebrate and feels feel recognized for for having sort of successfully secured it so i feel that's that's the core um and and I, the, the there's a lot more that needs to happen but i feel like this empathy core is very very important and 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 the service mentality or this notion of empowerment mentality within the security team also means that within the security team there need to be changes of uh of, of what's being done and a shift from from an auditing mentality of i will find the problems to to one that is again an empowering mentality that f- thinks about how do i help the dev teams find the problems themselves and also how do i help them not just find the problems because that we've actually had for a long time is put some stuff in the pipeline and 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 run a test and find problems but how do i help them fix those problems how do i help take them all the way for some sub- subset of problems how do i how do i help them Avoid the need. You know how do I sort of build security platforms? I loved. You know, I had a had a chat on my podcast with a with a dev from Figma uh, who who runs security. He runs security at Dropbox, and then uh, now now at Figma. And and I loved. He had this theme. I'm sort of stealing his uh, his uh, glamour here, but I just really loved the the quote, which is uh, he he said when he tells a developer that they that he needs to do something, he or she, then he he almost. Um, he almost likes to apologize uh, for it. He says, "Like, look, I, I haven't, I, I i still haven't figured out a way in which you don't need to worry about this problem. So, in the meantime, right. I'm sorry about that. But in the meantime, I need you to do this uh It's a very empathic way. Out. And it's it's just like an amazing perspective that I I thought embodied uh, the right approach very very well.
0: No, it's 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 really surprising and it's really empathic as well because you're not forcing something down the throat of a developer, but you're actually working with it and almost apologizing why the system is not secure enough that you had to worry about security. Yeah. But then, on the other end, uh, you know you have a lot of organizations that, that really rely on very old and antiquated infrastructure or, or applications that are not getting maintained. So how do you how can you pursue? uh not for the, the technology first company but on the more traditional company how you can pursue of a secure a native secure uh, organization where the developer don't need to worry about the security aspect how how can you achieve that dream if you want on a non tech company
2: so i don't think developers will ever not need to worry about security but i think what you want to so so security like like really everything in life you know so i have this sort of view of everything in life which is there's how much you care about something and there's how hard it is and you need to care more than it is hard. that's sort of the equation for everything that we do in life you know from from ordering food to uh whatever it is taking out the trash to uh you know to to, to sort of choice of profession right and even things that we care about a lot if they're so hard like i i I really would love to be in space, but the, it's it's much harder <laughs> than than what I'm sort of willing i don't while I care about it I don't care quite as much as, you know, like enough to sort of dedicate my life to it. And so uh, I think security is like that. We need to think about what are what are the friction elements, you know, what are the problems uh, that get in the way of a developer building something secure? And what you want to do is you want to reduce it. And fundamentally, those are the two levers that you have. So on one hand, you, you can raise awareness. And I think as a security industry, we've slightly overused that lever, you know, we've gotten into fear mongering and kind of bashing you on the head and we've got into compliance like this wouldn't be compliant, uh, all sorts of battle scars, you know, from and PTSD style, you know, like that, <laughs> like this. It. security PTSD. I, yeah. And it's, you know, it, it. I can't say that it's zero impact. Like people are more aware of security, mm-hmm. but it's just it, it only takes you so far. So I think what we really should devote more energy to is the other side is how do you how do you build it in and and this this ranges in in a there's a whole world of of means in which you can do it if the organization is a more low-tech organization can you introduce more constraints it's okay can you kind of provide with like react is is a great example of you know all about eliminating cross-site scripting concerns okay so can you actually drive you know some functional decision like that right can you Can if you want people to validate input, can you give them a relevant library that fits your description of what that means? And so it's really about just thinking about what do they need to do? What is it that you're asking them to do? Sometimes it is just about visibility. Sometimes it is just about, hey, surface something, you know, that when I do this problem and then how do you surface that, you know, as early as I can? And and be careful not to add friction. I think what security tools have done when they try to sort of shift left is In an attempt to make security easy, you make other things harder. So if you doubled my build time, then you might have made security a bit easier now, but you've now made everything else I need to do harder. So that's not a very good compromise. Um, And so, but, but, but I think that's the perspective. It's just how do you simplify it? And I think that applies to, you know, the highest tech. Netflix has that concept with the paved road. You define what you need to do, and then you create a set of technologies that implement that. And, and and make it easy, you know, the whole thesis there. Even to Netflix caliber developers, if it's easier, more people will do it. And it's true all the way to the mom and pop shop, entry stage developer uh, coming into a problem. Everybody, if it's easier, more people will do it.
0: Nice, I, I like that. I'm gonna quote you on that. Basically, <laughs> everybody will do it.
1: This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart.
0: You mentioned something that uh, is really important, and, and I struggled for a long time. Of uh, you know, we have a bunch of security tool and automation security, and doing security at scale definitely is going to help bring in the visibility up. But then we face the issue where uh, doing a scan could take days. So, do you? Do you do that online? So do you do that for every build? Do you break the build concept, or do you do security in parallel and move towards more risk management instead of just saying, you know fix all the banks, fix the banks that we are you know conscious and, and in a more risk uh, management way? Where do you see the organization or 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 if they are equal and equivalent?
2: Yeah, I think we need to remember that all of these things are journeys, um, and so so it depends on on which stage you're in and 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 maybe your tolerance for risk for a, a variety of things. Uh, I, I would say so. Part of the reason that I think Sneak has been successful is that we we managed to sort of blaze a path to to getting developers to do security because we, we we provided something that was very easy. But we also picked a problem space that was both very important around securing your open source usage. Uh, and, you know, today we do much more than that, but that was our kind of starting point. And also one that in which we could figure out how do we provide a solution that is fast enough and is easy enough, right? So fundamentally, when you think about uh, Sneak, and sorry if this sounds a bit, you know, advertising, it's less about that <laughs> and more as, a, as an example, is to say, when you think about Sneak, it really became, you know, why wouldn't you use Sneak? You know, you... We really simplified. I'll, I'll tell you some examples from our journey of learning. You know, at the beginning, we created something very easy for you to install locally. So you can NPM install snake, snake test, and you'd you know find issues. And that already required a certain amount of technology investment, but it was very, very fast and you could put it in the build. Challenge was that for developers who weren't yet, you know, f- for, for a lot of those who used it and liked it and tweeted about it and such, they didn't put it in the build because that was still too much effort for them. There was still too concerning about what if my build breaks and all that. And so we built the Git integration. So it really is super next, next, next. You're in there now. And not only did we do that, we we introduced, I think today, people conflate the the build and the pull request tests. So builds are gatekeepers. It's an opportunity to draw a line and say thou shalt not pass because, you know, there's there's you're not, you're, it's too harsh. You know, you can't or uh, you shouldn't pass because there's a problem that's severe enough. But it's a it's also a big deal to to break the build. You need to be mindful of it. Pull requests are where code review happens. Pull requests are really where you get an opportunity to be a helpful virtual teammate and say, "Hey, here is a problem." And you don't have to break. You don't have to, be, to 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 fail. You can actually provide information. So those are examples. And and. Lo and behold, more people did it, you know, and more people used it, and more people were successful. And then once you're in that place, so, so say, you you chose open source security. Ideally, you chose Sneak if you have a good taste <laughs> there. Uh, and uh, but but then if you you know if you so so you came along and you sort of you put that in. That's a good starting point. And then your dev team has become more security aware. You know, maybe they overcame some of the PTSD from sort of past tools that they've engaged with, and now they might be more amenable to. Working a little bit harder, maybe for the next problem that might demand a bit more from them. Now so you can do this journey with with specific threats, so you can run static analysis and only look for some subset of issues or, or the likes. And I think our job is, as as technology providers like Snyk, we always try to find ways for you to to need to do less compromise, right? So when we we we, I believe that our, our sort of static analysis offering that's newer, Snyk Code is it is, is different so it's an order of magnitude faster and sorry I'm, I'm getting so fully promotional here but but, but it's <laughs> no the, don't
0: worry it's new and a lot of people don't know it actually
2: yeah so it's, it's a new static analysis and you know I, I used to say i built a static analysis product uh, a good decade or more ago uh and uh, when i started sneak i used to say that you no know, we wouldn't go into static analysis unless we managed to invent some new math. And I think what the team has done basically, you know, in the, the deep code, the uh, company that we acquired is that they kind of invented new math. And as a result, it's, it's a scan that is on order of magnitude faster, you know, 10 to 30 times faster than the alternatives we've seen. And, and that implies that it's easier to put it into a pull request. And it runs on source code, not just build code. And so you can deploy it across your Git and you don't need to go pipeline by pipeline and put it in. Um, and so all of these things are like, what are the obstacles? What's the friction? What's the pain? that developers have been experiencing. And then, of course, of course, at the end of that is also accuracy. And if the results are noise, that's no good to you. But but but, uh, but it's really it's about on one hand, you've got the tooling industry, you know, Snake being a part of. And it's our job to help you uh, uh, have better and better alternatives you know, in front of you as a security organization. In the security organization, you need to say, OK, what are the options available to me and how do I gradually bring the developers along for the journey? And you know, I, I was uh actually just the other day was on um on a CISO roundtable and you know one sort of advanced fintech company was talking about how they started with critical vulnerabilities and kind of said there's no critical vulnerabilities and then they went to high and there's no high. And now they're at a pinch where there's no medium vulnerabilities coming along. And and the reason for that is because the developer team, development team got used to Running local scans and ensuring—if they broke the build every time a new medium came along—and that was the first time that it got introduced—it probably wouldn't fly. But the development team got in the habit of running tests as part of their local development, finding these problems, addressing them, or—or—or or, or at least acknowledging them, you know, as, as they allow, um, and then proceeding onwards. So it—it's the journey, and you need to—if you throw something overly heavy on your developers, then it uh, it won't fly. I want to say w- w- one thing, maybe to counter this, which is I also see teams that go too far. I see a lot of teams that a lot of security teams with PTSD, maybe you know, that are are uh, afraid of like you know what happens the one time that they broke an important build, and and they this was especially true at the beginning of Sneak, where where we would go to a security team. Mostly we talked to developers, but the odd time we talked to uh, a security team in the first couple of years. And, and they would say, um, hey, can I run this like sneak test in the build, but can I funnel those results so they go to Splunk, you know, to the side and I run them over there? And it's like, yeah, you can, you know, the product is easy to to do that with. But, you know, developers are OK with getting the outputs of this build, like most of the people we talk to are developers and, and they're OK with putting this in the build. It will only break on relevant cases and the information is useful for them to do it, to deal with on their own. So you also need to be careful not to go too far and and you want to make it easy for developers, but you don't want to move the load to you. You don't want to say, hey, I'll do it for you, at least not in the long run, because that one scale, you know, you, you're you not solving the problem.
0: And what's your perspective on, on that? Because it's a, it's a really interesting point of, you know, being too afraid of of breaking the build, or, or when you have a small team, of becoming that bottleneck and becoming almost like parallel security versus inline security, if you want, I, I tend to call it that way. But what's your view on the whole vulnerability management space? And uh, eff- that's effectively more around you know you have so many vulnerabilities, and especially at the beginning of the journey, that you need to prioritize and you need to decide. And then on on the back of it, uh, what's your view on the frictionless element on, you know, very frictionless uh, tool, but very noisy versus the other very precise tool? I start with the vulnerability management question.
2: though. (laughs) Yeah, it's look, it's a journey. And so at the beginning, there's a few hard trade-offs that you have to make. Um, And so vulnerability management as a whole is a useful practice. Tooling aside, you have a lot of vulnerabilities. They are important. It's true for quality bugs. It's true for others. Vulnerabilities are as, uh, uh, th- there's good reason to think about managing vulnerabilities on their own because uh, there, are, there are compliance requirements that relate to that. There's a different set of expertise. And you probably want to look at them as one backlog uh, and, and prioritize them accordingly. But, but they're not unique in, in that there's a, an infinite backlog that you never get to. That's true for basically everything in your product. And so in that sense, they're not, they're not that different. It's not, it's not that vulnerabilities have some unique problem that development teams have never really encountered of this sort of infinite pool. Uh, And, and so what you want is you need, you, you you do need to maintain a backlog and you do need to have a certain sequence and you need to, uh, rationally, uh, interact with the, the product teams and the engineering teams and agree on the amount of work and and level of urgency the the amount of of investment and level of urgency needed to to address different issues and so so i think fundamentally that process has to happen i think there's most vulnerability management programs are just not very good at it what they're trying to do is they're trying to say hey i will just sort of purely do this sort of work here around the, the risk management and i will pick the top ones and then you have to do them you know, it's it's a, it's a very, um, and, and I just, it's just not very collaborative. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes from a compliance perspective, you have to do them, but you need to be collaborative with the team. You need to understand, you know, the, the, the balance, the trade-off of taking on this risk. And the other thing is sometimes when you're only focusing on risk, you are, you're not factoring in ease of remediation. And the people that best know what's easy to remediate are the developers. They're not the security people. And so if you work collaboratively, you might actually find that you you put five items on the top, but actually your next five combined are as easy to fix as one of those other top. So I guess what I would say is vulnerability management is is necessary. It should be done as as an aspect of, of quality. I think the one catch to my statement that might be, you know. If someone's sort of hearing and says, you know, that's a nice and naive statement, I also have auditors. Like I also have compliance people coming along and, uh, and, and I think you, you need to understand those, but typically the threshold for compliance is far lower than the threshold for being secure. So you do need to be compliant and some, some guardrails have to be there. Again, it's not that unique systems have to be up. If there's something that's taking down the system, it has to be fixed. Oh, and behold right there are a lot of functionality requirements that are deal breakers and they have to be addressed and you know in bugs so it's not unique to the security industry you want to streamline it you want to be a part of the, the the natural kind of prioritization that happens and and i think there's good and bad here that happened on one hand you see a lot of vulnerability management tools actually i think probably everybody today that have the ability to log a ticket into Jira. Uh, and that's a good thing, you know, you versus historically having those in, in a different system. The problem is that a lot of tools end there. Even worse, a lot of tools, the fix action, they tout remediation and fix. And that fix action is logging a ticket in JIRA. Logging a ticket is not fixed. <laughs> it's not a solution. Logging a ticket is is completing the auditor's job. Yeah, I know it's like, I'm done. I logged it. Logging it is not the fix. And so... So I think, I think that's a, that's something to be wary of. You know, you kind of get that JIRA ticket and it says, look, I integrated into the developer's workflow. I logged it in JIRA. Developers workflows are a little bit more elaborate than that. And you should make more effort to go from finding issues to, to fixing them.
0: And, I, and, and I can't relate even more and that as We're creating another tool to be more developer first. And that was on, on, on your journey, but. I like what you said about you know being collaborative not just recording a ticket and then i'm done <laughs> to get recorded i really like that and that developer first because ultimately it's about fixing a problem fixing a bug fixing something and recording a ticket doesn't solve anything i <laughs> know that that's great and we almost about time but there was one interesting question that i always wanted to ask of uh, you, you cover different hat and different roles so how did you felt about going from a CTO to a more security focus? And uh, did you had that internal conflict of, you know, when, when you needed uh, a feature to be fast and then how much security do you put in? Uh, because that's a journey, uh, any kind of startup uh, on the technology side, I think it, it finds, and if it comes from a security background, it's even more gruesome. And <laughs> I'm telling you from a personal experience. Yeah. So how did you find it's- that journey?
2: So, I think uh, life is full of kind of uh, <laughs> balances, and uh, there's a lot of things you want to do, and some of them you you don't have to. so i I think for me, security was interesting. So you know founding uh, a performance company, I was very security minded there because I came from security, and then you know built a performance company and and was still always close to security in in um, in Akamai. And I think at at sneak, you know founding a security company. It was a little bit easier to focus on security because we were we kind of had a bunch of paranoid uh, people, so even regular development. we We had to fix a little bit. we We had such a great security culture that we were pretty poor in security sort of structured practices because we were just very uh, a lot of people cared. And so we did a lot of things right uh, and and we had to had to make an effort kind of somewhere in the middle to actually just institute bunch of practices as we got bigger, and uh, and at the beginning it was just all a lot of very 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 uh, security um, high level of security expertise amidst the, the 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 team, and so so I think I think I got lucky a little bit that in that sense security was always you know top of mind and I didn't have to terribly terribly compromise you know interestingly though because you talk about those compromises so again I'll say security is not unique. For example, at Sneak, one of the things that I, I had a hard time with, and now we're sort of fortunately, you know, have been fixing is that, you know, our Sneak's performance was pretty crummy, you know, for, for a little while. So like the Sneak core product was very performant and very fast, you know, to not slow down the build, but uh, a lot of things in the portal and even some in the website at times, and I was going after sort of pitching and promoting performance at, at Akamai. And I fully, fully understand the impact of business, you know, the, to, on, on business, if you're Building a performance website, and you know, and yet it was me making also the the explicit decision to say that is not the most important thing for us right now to invest in. And so sometimes you do need to remember whether it's performance or uh, or security that you, you know you can be secure all the way to bankruptcy, right? You know, security is very important, but it's not the only thing that is important. What's important is 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 building you know a successful business, providing real value to customers, to users. And and security is is a very important part of it, and you need to work. It's not naturally visible. It's, it doesn't have a natural feedback cycle. So you have to work to make it visible and not forget it. But also sometimes it's right to take risks. Sometimes it's okay to say there's a, an appropriate level of investment, or something else is is more more important or or more urgent to address. And it's all about the balance. You know, it's all about if, uh, um, making conscious decisions and then standing by them right you know it's and any decision you do has consequences and uh, hopefully you get it right
0: no i like i like i like that approach a risk-based approach a proper businessman here yeah. <laughs> well done thank you and maybe one one of the this is one of the last one but one of my more important and, and uh question and, and principle is around diversity and i really like the culture that you guys have built around sneak very open communication very uh forward thinking and very open company in terms of diversity in in throughout every aspect i've been interacting with a lot of you guys and i really like the way you guys think but how did you make sure that the company grew with the right principle as a founder and the right value and that everybody actually if you want drink the kool-aid and you know was bought in in those principle
2: yeah i think first of all it's great to hear thanks for that and and i I take great pride in the culture that we've built at, at Sneak, and I've always said that I want to, you know, I, I possibly even care more than I care about building a successful business is building a great company, and you know, building a place that I want to come work at that represents, you know, my values and, and what we care about. And you know, this was actually a consideration for me when I founded Sneak. So, you, I remember me saying this, and I think the statement still holds, which is when you come back from from Black Hat you kind of want to curl up in a corner and cry. You know, there's like a certain amount of like the world is (laughs) broken. Nothing will ever work. You know, everything is uh, there's a certain culture of one upmanship. And, you know, I can break your stuff and nothing is good that comes out of it. And in performance, I was going to velocity. I was in the programming committee there and I was very involved in that conference for many years. And and you come back from there and you want to kind of sing kumbaya, there's like a lot of people there, the web can be better, we can make the world a better place and we'll, uh, you know, it's a world of ops, it's also resilience, it's also risk management, but the attitude was night and day. Uh, and, and so I, I actually debated whether I want to go back to security after this sort of great scene and, and my, my commitment at Sneak was that we will model after the dev world the uh, the devops world and that we will build a developer tooling company not a cyber company uh, and so everything that we've built you know i'm I'm very proud of it and i think we've done it well as well but it was modeled to begin with uh after companies that were just from a very different world they were from you know modeled after the the, the githubs of the world and the New relics of the world and there's you know, sort of the dev dev tooling leaders uh, that i've seen at the time and and naturally it's it's open to the community it's transparent we we ship publicly. We talk publicly. It was always inclusive. We built a company in two locations in Tel Aviv and London at the beginning, and then we added Boston and Ottawa. And in those locations, but we 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 intentionally uh, split the teams. So even a five six person team, there's no team that is co located. Uh, teams are always in multiple locations, and that forced collaboration between the teams. So it didn't. It created a one team, and it's just it's just a constant attention and investment. Uh, being willing, we let go a bunch of people that were. Capable people that just didn't fit the the, the culture over time, you know, and, and we've even more so didn't hire uh, people, but we had we had a few. And sometimes, you know, once you establish a sufficient core, it stands out when somebody's not there. And uh, and you need to be very harsh with if there's a risky flag, if there's a you know in the interview, if you're not sure about culture fit, you need to be really quite committed, you know, to say, look, be willing to walk away. And we've done it, and you know it feels uh, uh, bad at the moment and good mm. tomorrow. Uh, I, like, I like that. And did
0: you do anything to actually portray the culture or display the culture outside before the house, or to show secretly that that uh, you know compatibility and and really showing the how do we live and breed in yeah. Sneek
2: before? We, we So we try to advertise the culture as a whole and kind of share it. We're also naturally transparent. But look, we invest a lot in diversity and, and inclusion all along, you know, anywhere from checking the wording to of our messages, job postings that we post outside to ensure they're inclusive, to being very attentive to any commentary that comes from our team or from outside about it. Uh, as we've grown, we've done things like uh, we've recently opened 10 internship jobs for uh, return to work from mothers who kind of came back from uh, mat leave. Uh, we opened a, an associate role early on for sales engineering, which was a space that is lacking in sort of women, and is a very lucrative and compelling and 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 you know great career uh, opportunity. Uh, and it's just not enough sort of you know women in, in in that. And so we and we we had a hard time finding people to hire with the right experience. So we opened associate roles, and we've been grooming. We have some great SEs now that kind of came through that channel. So some of it is about advertising and some of it is about walking the walk uh, and be willing to, uh, to invest in it. And, and I got to say, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. It's especially hard to find experienced, diverse candidates by definition as an industry, we've chased them away. Uh, and so the result of that is that there are fewer of them with experience and you have to be, sometimes it's about looking harder, taking time, which is hard to do when you're a fast growing startup, uh, but, and, and. And sometimes, sometimes it's about growing people that are inside. Sometimes it's about being willing to to invest and build up a, a, a bottom up motion here as well, right? And just open up and and be willing to to take in and mentor. You know, we we provide a executive coaching to, to to leaders, and we've expanded a whole other layer for diverse people in our in our company of of a layer of seniority lower. So the company is literally investing in their individual growth disproportionately to, to, to help them, uh, help them grow. And I think all of these things are, are hard and they continue to be hard and they should be hard because we're, we're fixing, you know, a historical problem, but they pay dividends.
0: No, I, I love that. And I think we should talk about it more to show a really good example and that these actually pay off in the long run, but, Absolutely. you know, I, I have tons of other questions, but we, we, we've reached time and it was a beautiful conversation. And I think we ended on a very positive note, but I'm going to uh, challenge you to up it and say. Leave us. Is is our tradition to close with a very very positive message? We close. We almost close with the diversity message. is something close to my heart. But if you can up that, uh, <laughs> leave us with a positive, uh, good and warm and fuzzy feeling.
2: <laughs> I think uh, I, I think there's there's reason to be optimistic. So I I believe that over the course of the next sort of you know five to ten years, security would be a core tenant in all developer tools. That security would be would be a a necessary and expected functionality as part of your natural development process there will be best of breed tools and solutions like sneak that might level you up but fundamentally i i I think there's a real motion and i see this in sort of companies new companies being formed and in partnerships that you know are are coming to sneak to do so that security is becoming a a core expectation out of of development tools Uh, and and i do think that you will be able to do to security, you know, what has happened to to ops and weave it into the fabric of software development. And I think at the end of the day, that would make all of the, kind of the world and the digital world more secure. So I think there's reason to be optimistic and easier to leave. Thank you so much, Guy. But uh, for
0: anybody that want to follow you, want to listen to the update aside from Snake, where they can find you?
2: I'm just at a pod on, on Twitter and you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I kind of ramble from time to time. And then if you want to check out the Security Developer Podcast, that's uh, less to, to hear me and more to hear other smart people that I uh, get a chance to, uh, to interview over there. So that podcast is on all the regular
0: channels and i'm gonna put the link to the podcast in the show notes but thank you so much and everybody i hope this message inspired you to build a better future and a more diverse future and walk in the hard parts because it pays off in big dividends and makes the world a little bit better this is francesco guy thank you so much for coming and stay safe and stay secure thank you
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.